Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We've been going through a series called The Test, and uh, I want to kind of refresh you on part of the the point and part of uh, where this all started, but part of the idea is that when God created humans, He created us with a purpose. He created us with a goal for us to be his image bearers, to rule and to keep the earth, just like he told the priests in the tabernacle that they were to rule and to keep. He, He made us as humans to be his ambassadors, that when people see us and see the way that we act and the way that we treat one another, that they would know that there is a God and they would know that that God is a God of love. And he had all these important goals and tasks for us, and we see that with Adam and Eve. And we see that just like with anything that we have a good purpose for, like a heart surgeon or a pilot, that those tests that we make heart surgeons go through and pilots go through aren't because we're trying to trap people or be mean, but because we have such a good purpose for them. We care so much about heart surgeons being good at what they do that we have tests for them. And God had, has so much care and concern for us to be his image bearers and his ambassadors that part of the way life works is, is that there are tests and there are doors to pick from in life to choose from. And we've gone through different examples and stories in Scripture of tests that people have gone through. Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, were given a choice, a test of are they going to choose to eat from the tree of life, the one that God wants for them to choose from, or are they going to choose from the tree of knowing good and evil, where they get to decide for themselves what they think is right and what they think is wrong and make themselves the center of what they think they should and shouldn't do, make themselves like gods. And we saw that Adam and Eve, they chose... Uh, as uh, Indiana Jones would say, they chose poorly um, in the, uh, the last... Anyway, okay. Uh, so then the next, the next one was about Abraham and Isaac and the choice of whether or not Abraham was going to trust God in being willing to sacrifice his son. The next story we talked about was Israel and the wilderness and in Deuteronomy how God said that like a father disciplines a child, God had tests to see what was in the people's heart while they were in the wilderness, not to hurt them but for their good. And over and over and over, while Moses was trying to say, come through this door, let's go through this door, the people constantly chose other doors. And then, last week, we we came to the story of Jesus, where Jesus came to be the true faithful one that Israel was supposed to be. He came and he was the faithful son who endured the tempting and testing in the wilderness. He had all sorts of options to choose what he thought was right in the wilderness, and yet he constantly said, not my will, but God's. And now what we're going to do is we're going to look at two stories that point us to the trajectory of Jesus' final test, which is his test on the cross. So let's look. This story that we're going to read first may not be one that you necessarily think of, but I'll show you why I think it connects and why I think it's important. This may not be the main point of what this story is about, but I do believe it is pointing us towards this. Luke 9, 28 through 31. About eight days after Jesus said this, he, he took Peter, John, James, even Jesus had a close group of friends, close disciples, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. The, I highlighted this in a few other parts because you're going to see Luke is trying to get us to think about the Exodus story and to think about Moses and Moses' face changing on the mountain. So here in Exodus 34, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. 
because he had spoken with the Lord. And so Luke is saying like, hey, this, this experience that Jesus is going through right now that we call the transfiguration, this is, you should be having some reminders about Moses in Egypt. And, and there's more, you know, so it, and it says two men, Moses and Elijah, two men that God appeared to on Mount Sinai are there and in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So we have, we don't know what words they spoke about. We don't know the exact words that they said, but we do know what they were talking about. And they were talking about his going away. And this word departure in Greek is the word exodus. And so whenever you read this, if you were reading it in the Greek, you would recognize he could have picked a bunch of different Greek words to put here for going away or leaving, but he picked exodus because he's trying to connect us with this fact that just like Moses was sent by God to take the people from slavery in Egypt out of slavery through the Red Sea into the promised land. Jesus has come to do that to the nth degree. Jesus has come to be the one who says, you are in slavery to sin. You are trapped in a life of separation from God that will lead to death. And I have come to free you into a different kind of promised land, a new exodus, a greater exodus that is not just for the people of Israel and Egypt, but it is available for all of us. But the reason why I picked this story is because of the fact that this idea of the, the exodus, um, oh, let me, let me keep reading and then I'll, uh, I'll get to my point. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. And so here, this discussion about the departure, I believe we're supposed to get the idea that Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they are all discussing, and Moses and Elijah are almost like getting him ready and talking to him and encouraging Jesus for the fact that, all right, it's about your time to go to your final test. You are about to go face your test on the cross, your departure. The, the reason why we're set free from sin is because you're about to head towards Jerusalem. And then immediately after that, God comes and he proclaims this blessing over Jesus, the one that we hear at his baptism, of his reminder that, that you are my son, I love you, and he calls us to listen to him. And one of the things that I, I think is very fascinating about this, and it's something that I think applies to all of us, is this idea that just like Jesus, sometimes we receive our greatest blessings and our challenges simultaneously. Sometimes we Here Jesus just was reminded by God of this enormous blessing over his life. You are my son, I love you. Right after he was just reminded, even though I I know Jesus, I believe, knew from the beginning, but he was reminded, don't forget, this is the, the the way you're headed. This is the direction you're going. And so I want to talk about what are some examples of what this looks like for us. For some of us, whenever you, at your job, whenever you get a promotion, and one hand, you just received a blessing of affirmation. The people that are your employers just told you, you are doing a great job. I think you're great. I want to promote you. But simultaneously, you just received more responsibility. Simultaneously, you just received more challenges and responsibility. Whenever you have a child, in one hand, you are holding the greatest blessing you will ever experience. You're being told by God, look at this blessing that we have. In the exact same other hand, you are fully aware of the immediate challenges that now come with the, fa- the responsibility of having that child. They're both hands. I mean, I remember for me, it, you can't separate the two. I can't in one moment be like, wow, what an, this is incredible. What an honor it is to have Marshall, to have Landry Joe. And then at the same time go, man, I really have a lot of work to do, right? 
Another example is when we become a Christian. When we become a Christian, we immediately receive this blessing of knowing that we have the love of Christ in our life, knowing that God loves us and died for us. And at the same time, the gospel constantly talks about when you become a Christian, you will face, you will be like lambs that will be slaughtered. You will face uh, carrying your own cross and having to love your enemies and all sorts of challenges. And I think it's, it's important for us to realize that in this moment, um, instead of just thinking, man, that's, a, that's really a bummer for Jesus that he's going off onto this challenge, this new test, but to remind ourselves, sometimes those two things are going in, hand in hand. The blessing of being the son of God, being told this is my son whom I love, my chosen one, and the, the challenge and the test of what he's about to face. And so Luke 9 ends in verse 51 by saying, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And remember, I, I've said over and over in the Old Testament, whenever people ask for God to turn his face to them, it means, God, come near to me. Show me your presence. Put your focus on me. Don't turn away from me. And it says that Jesus, and, and for the rest of the Gospel of Luke, everything that Jesus does is a crash course for his test that he will face as he focuses attention towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. So now, let's read a second story. This one is much more uh, easy to see how this story connects with our, our series on the test, where Jesus, we see, is showing physically and emotionally the uh, turmoil that he is experiencing about this test that he is about to face. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, by the way, Gethsemane means uh, olive press in Greek, and it's all four of the Gospels, in some way or another, like to describe that Jesus here is in a garden. So you can see the symmetry. The world began with two people, Adam and Eve, in a garden, facing a choice. Are they going to choose the tree of life, or are they going to choose their own path? And now we have Jesus here, in many ways, reversing what took place in the garden, as he himself is in his own garden, and as he himself is going to face the same questions. Am I going to choose my way, or am I going to choose God's will? He says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, his close companions. Another connection between this and the transfiguration story. And he began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. I think, uh, I don't know exactly the balance of this, and none of us do, but I think maybe a, the pendulum has swung in our culture sometimes where we compliment people who never show emotion, or we like to pride ourselves on, well, I'm the strong one. You know, no one ever sees me uh, lose my composure. And I think we maybe need to be careful about that, because here we see the Savior of the world, instead of him saying, I've got it all taken care of. We see him being willing to be vulnerable with his friends and being willing to say, I'm hurting. This is difficult for me. And I think that's important for us to hold on to. Going a little further, he threw himself on the ground. I think, I think of the, the people in my life that if you were to ask me, you know, do they, you know, I could say, man, one thing about this person in my life, I never see them uh, you know, show any sort of feelings or emotions. And throughout Matthew, we could argue that Jesus has stayed a pretty cool cucumber. And here we're, he's allowing his closest disciples to see the anguish that uh, this test he's facing is making him go through. And here on this slide, I highlighted a few things that are, remember earlier in Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples how they should pray to God. 
And uh, you can say it with me if you'd like to. But he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So here, we have three examples of ways that that prayer is about to come into effect in Jesus' own prayer life. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, not my will be done, but yours. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Um, uh, uh, what does it say? Uh, lead us not into temptation. Here's a connection with that. Uh, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for a second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, or if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And here we see this crucial, you know, this crucial part of what we're going to talk about more in a second. But this idea of Jesus saying to God, God, this is not the door that I want to walk through. This is not what I want to do. I want to choose a different path. But above all, I want to choose a path that is within your will. And so if this is the only way that stays within your will, then this is the door that I'm going to walk through. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. They had just had the Lord's Supper, just had a lot of eating and drinking and hanging out, so we can kind of understand why they would probably be sleepy. Um, but there'll be another sermon where I'll maybe talk a little bit more about what exactly is this going on with him, them constantly falling asleep. But leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? The hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So one thing that I think is very crucial and important is that Jesus faces the same test, the one that began with Adam and Eve in the garden, that all humanity faces. And this time he passes it. The question is, will you choose God's will or your own will? And really, not to oversimplify it, but that's really a lot of what all of life is about, is constantly facing choices where the question is, God, I want to choose your will over my own will. And this can be one of the hardest things that we ever have to do. And I, I don't believe, personally, that it's something where it's like God's will is like a tightrope and we have to spend our lives like not falling off the tightrope. I believe that there are plenty of doors within God's will with lots of things. I don't think God has something where he's like, well, your life is going to be bad if you don't. And then he gives you like one option. But I do believe the question, like I said earlier with Jesus is, for Jesus it's, God, there's all sorts of options in your will. And I'm going to do any of these things in your will. But I guess for in this moment of going to the cross, he knew there was only one option as far as God's will. And it was to continue to go towards the cross. And what I believe that's so crucial and so important about this story is that while all of us are invited to choose God's will or not, we have to remember that for Jesus, it probably felt a lot like this terrible thing or God's will. And the thing that I, I hope I can convince you of and remind you of, uh, that I have to convince myself of often, is that anytime we choose God's will, in the end, it is the life-giving choice. Just like with the two trees in the garden. It was the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and evil. Sometimes it feels a lot like the, tree, the choosing what looks fun and good or choosing God's will, which looks terrible and annoying and painful. 
And we have to, as Christians, believe and testify to people that no matter how it looks at the onset, choosing God's will is the path of choosing the better life, the abundant life, whether we see it or not, whether it makes sense or not to us. And I believe that although Jesus went and died on the cross, he would still have told you, as painful as it was, as difficult as it was, he knew that that was the choice that led to eternal life. That was the choice that led to a better life, even though it may not have seemed like it at all on the surface. And so the question I want us to think about is, what does this story tell, tell us about when we face trials? And here I'm going to maybe talk about two levels to this. One level that's very important and then one level that's the most important. So if they seem like they're contradicting each other, they're not. One's just important and the other's most important. The first one that I think is we have the opportunity when we face trials and challenges to emulate what Christ did. We have opportunities to cry out to our Father and to tell Him what we have on our hearts and minds. How often do we actually articulate to God the very things that are breaking us? Sometimes we think, well, you know, God knows, so why do I have to tell Him it? No, the reason you tell him it is because the second you give it over to God, you are articulating what is breaking your heart. And he, he's known all along, but you're giving it to him. You're trusting him with it. And Jesus, he, he calls him Father. We have the opportunity to call on God as our Father. He tells God what's breaking his heart, and we have the opportunity to do that. What's conflicting us? He calls for his friends to come near to him, and he's vulnerable with his friends. How many of us have because of pride or because we think it'd be embarrassing, don't allow our closest friends to be able to hear and to see what is really challenging us and, and we're struggling with. And Jesus does that. He lets his disciples, he doesn't think, well, they need to see me, you know, not, not like this. So I'm not going to have my disciples close by. He brings his inner circle to hear him. And then on the other side of it, I'm going to talk about the disciples for a second because I think it's important. The other side of this is when we're going through trials or when other people are going through trials, it is up to us as the church to stay awake with our friends while they're going through trials. I think about Jesus didn't tell his disciples, hey, I need your help. And their response wasn't, okay, well, we'll fix it. Don't worry, Jesus, we'll solve everything. You know, oh, you're about to go through what? Okay, don't worry, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And that's often what we do whenever, hey, Jason, I'm going through something really difficult. My gut instinct, if I were Jason, would be, how can I help solve Drew's problem? And that's not what Jesus wants the disciples to do at all. You know what he wants? Is he wants people who are awake with him. He wants people who are sitting there beside him in the hospital holding his hand. He wants people who are asking and checking in on him. He wants people who are bringing him meals, staying alert to his needs and wants. And I have to say that I can't, I've been a part of many churches, and I can't think of a church that is better at staying awake with each other than this church. This church is, should be commended for the way that the people in this congregation, when they know someone's going through a trial, going through a hurt, a difficulty, if, if that person actually let it be made known to the body and it was willing to share it with others, our church is amazing at being alert and awake to people's needs. Whenever I come to do Wednesday night class, everyone is deeply interested in, well, have you heard about how the Hesters are doing? You know, what's the update? Have you heard about how this is going? Not because we just have to know everything, but because we care deeply about staying awake with each other. And I wanted to compliment you on that. And so here's the deeper level about what does this mean and what does this tell us about what we do when we face trials. I believe that it's easy for me as a preacher to say, well, this is when Jesus faced his trials and temptations. So this is what we should do when we face our trials and temptations. And that's important. But on the deepest level, the thing that we have to know is that because of what Christ did, 
We no longer have to worry about whether or not we face and pass the tests and the temptations with flying colors because his sacrifice, doing it once and for all, is passing the test for all of us for the rest of time. Our, our, our test is no longer about our ability to keep the law. Our test is no longer about how well we do each and everything. Jesus came and was very frustrated with many of the church leaders back then because they had made following God about how well you followed all the steps. And he came to remind people, that's not what this is about. God didn't make the Deuteronomy. He didn't make the Ten Commandments because he wanted to give you rules to follow. He made them because he, they would bring life to you. They would give you a better life. And yet they had made it all about how well you follow the laws, follow the tests, pass everything just right. And our test is no longer about that. Our test is whether or not we know and trust the one who fulfilled the law once and for all for all of us. Now, yes, I do believe, and we'll see throughout the rest of our series, that there are going to be tests that we're going to face that it will be good for us, and God wants us to pass those tests. But our salvation is no longer dependent on our ability to pass the test. Our salvation is dependent on his ability to be faithful to pass the test, and he did that. Jesus received a blessing and a commission from God, and he turned his face towards the cross, towards his blessing, towards the place where he would be glorified and the place where he would be crucified. And he knew that in that journey, he would encounter testing and trials and temptation. But most importantly, he knew that he would encounter the faithfulness of God in those battles. And now we are given the same invitation. God chooses us and he commissions us. And God tells us that there will be testing and there will be trials and temptation. And in the midst of all of it, there will be the faithfulness of the Son of God who passed the test, who gave his life, so that we, once and for all, would have his faithfulness to pass the test, rather than whether we're good at it or not. The difference for us is that we pass the test not by turning our attention to our cross, but by marveling at Christ's cross and his faithfulness. So if any of you here would like to know what it looks like to live a life where you no longer have to worry about your eternity being about whether you're good enough, whether you're smart enough, whether you make all the right decisions. Because I know there's a lot of people that think that's what being a Christian is about. Well, I can't go through that because, man, I just, I don't know if I'll ever be able to live up to that. Well, guess what? That's not our story anymore. Our test is, do you know Christ? Do you put your trust and your hope into him? Because if you do, he's going to take care of all the rest. He has been faithful and will continue to be faithful to all of us. And we see that most in his death and his ability to pass that test on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And if you'd like to know more about that, we'd love to talk with you, whether you're watching online or whether you'd like to come forward now. If any of you have any trials or temptations that you haven't been vulnerable with someone about and you'd like to, Raymond Tennyson's going to be in the prayer room and he'd be happy to pray with you. And so many of us here would love to walk alongside you and stay awake with you during your trial, during your challenge. And uh, I'd encourage you to do that as we stand and sing.